0: continue our study through Hosea. Now we're going to look at Hosea 4. Let's, um, let's read that together. You'll see it up on the screen. You, there, it's in the Bibles in the pew if you did not bring one of your own. It says this, hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land There is no faithfulness or steadfast love, and no knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore the land mourns, and all who dwell in it languish, and also the beasts of the fields, and the birds of the heavens, and even the fish of the sea are taken away. Yet let no one contend and let none accuse, for with you is my contention, O priest. You shall stumble by day, the prophet also shall stumble with you by night, and I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, because you have rejected knowledge. I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your, Lord, of, of your God, I also will forget your children. The more they increased, the more they sinned against me, I will change their glory into shame. They feed on the sin of my people, they are greedy for their iniquity, and it shall be like people like priests. I will punish them for their ways and repay them for their deeds." They shall eat, but not be satisfied. They shall play the whore, but not multiply, because they have forsaken the Lord to cherish whoredom, wine, and new wine, which take away the understanding. My people inquire of a piece of wood, and their walking staff gives them oracles, for a spirit of whoredom has led them astray, and they have left their God to play the whore. They sacrifice on the tops of the mountains and burn offerings on the hills under oak, poplar, and terebinth because their shade is good. Therefore, your daughters play the whore and your brides commit adultery. I will not punish your daughters when they play the whore, nor your brides when they commit adultery. For the men... "...themselves go aside with prostitutes, and sacrifice with cult prostitutes, and a people without understanding shall come to ruin. Though you play the whore, O Israel, let not Judah become guilty. Enter not into Gilgal, nor go up to Beth-Avon, and swear not, as the Lord lives, like a stubborn heifer, Israel is stubborn. Can the Lord now feed them like a lamb in a broad pasture?" Ephraim is joined to idols. Leave him alone. When their drink is gone, they give themselves to whoring. Their rulers dearly love shame. A wind has wrapped them in its wings, and they shall be ashamed because of their sacrifices. As we're reading this, again, it's this this description of the sin of, of Israel. And in the middle of this is is one of the main reasons. And one of the main reasons for this fall is one of the main reasons a lot of Christians and a lot of churches are vulnerable today. And it's because many Christians are malnourished or starving spiritually because they're not consuming a full, healthy diet of God's word. You wouldn't necessarily know it because they may be very faithful in coming to church. They may be very faithful in reading the Bible. They may be, you know, very faithful even in, in sharing their faith. They could also just be people that are kind of just showing up. People that you go, yeah, that person looks malnourished. But many Christians in our churches today, they're malnourished or starving spiritually. Part of it's because pastors are unwilling to teach and or preach the full counsel of God's word. They only want to teach parts of it. They, they only want to like kind of pick and choose. They want to maybe do the things that, that they think you need to hear. They only want to talk about the gospel in terms of what the gospel can do for you rather than what God wants to do through you, through the gospel. Sometimes it's it's blame falls on the pastors, and that's what you're going to see in this passage. The blame is on the priests. But sometimes... The blame isn't simply on the pastors, it's also on the churches. There are people in the church that they don't want to be fed the whole, the whole gospel. They don't want a full, healthy diet of God's Word. You know, they, they want to go to the buffet line and get you know, right to the ice cream and pie. That's what they want. They just want to They just want one part that that really kind of appeals to them, maybe meets their needs. They don't really have tolerance for pastors that dare to preach the full gospel and the full counsel of God's word. And so what happens is they either don't ask those pastors to be there, or when they are there, they either try to change them, or they try to Get rid of them. You have pastors often unwilling to teach. Churches not wanting pastors like this. And by the way, just let me tell you, it takes time if we ever look at God's Word and we look at it in context, it takes time to do it. You know, if you just want a little 15-minute sermonette every Sunday morning, you're not getting a full, healthy diet of God's Word. Sometimes it's done for supposedly good reasons, Like, like sometimes pastors like to oversimplify the gospel or to make it more attractive in the name of getting people saved. They know if I, if I talk about the gospel a certain way and I leave out certain parts like maybe the sin part or the judgment part or about the kingdom part and about the service part and, and I just leave in that part about how, about how Jesus wants to save you from your sin and give you your best life now and, and you know, maybe uh, you know, make, you, make sure you have a place in heaven. That, that's what people want to hear. So that's all I'm going to tell them. The others can be true, too, where sometimes, you know, pastors want to overcomplicate things. I'm not talking about, again, digging deeper into God's Word. I'm talking about just adding stuff to the gospel, making issues where there are no issues. There's a lot of Christians who believe it's good enough to feed on God's Word, you know, once a week. In fact, for some people, that's a lot. It's a lot. There's other people who think, like, the goal is to just simply read the Bible and not study it, and certainly not study it together. Now, I'm sure there's other reasons... There's other reasons that we can become malnourished or starving spiritually. I'm not saying you are. You might be. You might fall into this category. But the blame doesn't fall just on one, it's a shared blame. Pastors choosing not to teach, Christians choosing not to be fed. But here's one thing I know for sure, and I know this is something John and I take very seriously. I know for sure God has given pastors, given pastors the sacred task to faithfully preach the whole counsel of God. It doesn't matter whether you like it or not or whether I like it or not. It doesn't matter if you want something that's a, that's a little more you know, easy to swallow or whether I really want to kind of meet that need in your life. It doesn't matter. We have been tasked with preaching the full counsel of God. That's why at this church, we don't just drive by scriptures. We don't just wave to them and say, hey, look at what the Bible said over there. We want to spend time in God's word. We want to make sure that every time we open God's word, we're not just reading words on a page, but we're understanding the context. And we will preach the whole counsel of God. We will not preach our own personal agendas. We will not simply preach to talk about the social issues that are facing us today. We have this sacred task, but it's also a sacred partnership. You see, we have the task of preaching God's word faithfully, which means we need to study, we need to interpret God's word correctly. And we do it for this purpose. We do it for the purpose of that, that when, we are, when we are explaining to you what God's word said, when we are proclaiming God's word to you, we're giving you the interpretation, you are listening and you are either hearing what we're saying, and you're saying, "Amen, I believe that." Or you're saying, "Wait, I haven't heard that before." When you say, "I haven't heard it before," it's an opportunity for your understanding to deepen. But there's another one. Another reaction is, "Wait. That's not what I believe. Whatever the pastor's saying today, I don't believe that. That's an opportunity for your understanding to be corrected. It's our job as pastors. It's not a job I take on, it's mine. It's one that if I accept the role of pastor that I have been given by God to do, If you are malnourished or starving spiritually in this church, you need to come talk to us. If somehow you think we are not preaching the full counsel of God's word, we would love to find out how we can. But it's an issue. It's not a new one. 2,700, 2,800 years ago, already going on. So this Hosea chapter four, when when you know we come to this, we look at this passage, and it you know it's it's this what's happening in Hosea is the northern kingdom has abandoned the covenant. God is delivering His message through Hosea, both through words and through just um, sometimes acting it out in different ways in His life. Verses one through three that we just read. God is, is speaking to the true children of Israel, and he's talking about the unfaithful Israelites. And the unfaithful Israelites have had apparently a long time to kind of perfect their sin. They have both the sins of omission. You see where it says faith, there's no faithfulness, no steadfast love, no knowledge of God. Sins of omission. They're not doing the things that God had told them to do. God had said, be faithful. Have integrity. When you make a covenant with me, you're going to keep the covenant. Love each other. And don't make the love based on how you feel in the moment. Make the love based on the covenant, the commitment that you made with me. Don't just love me. Love each other. And know me. Know me. They've committed the sins of omission, but they've also have, are now full of the sins of commission. Sins that they are committing, not things that they, good things that they're not doing. Now they're actually, the sins of commission are the things that they shouldn't be doing that they are. And he gives a list that word swearing is, is the word is not like swearing like they're using four letter words. It's the idea that they are cursing each other. Not saying curses to each other but actually wishing evil upon each other. It says there's swearing, lying, murder, stealing, committing adultery. You might know that that sounds really familiar. Where's that from? Well, Those are all part of the Ten Commandments. They're they're checking them off. Yeah, we got that one, that one, that one, that one. In fact, the second part of of, of verse 2, the way that it's translated in the ESV, could be translated differently. Could be literally translated, you know, their land is like full of idols touching idols, which tells you that idolatry, Worship of these false gods is rampant. It's everywhere. So they've really pretty much taken care of all the Ten Commandments. The first four that talk about, you know, their relationship to God, broke them all. The latter six, broke them all. As a result, talks in verse 3, is describing like drought in the land. It doesn't say where the drought's from. It could have been natural. It could have been because of war. It could have been because God acting supernaturally. It could also just be like the breakdown of society. And when the society is breaking down, it's less productive. But we do know that that's paralleling this other thing that's the, kind of the major theme here. And it's at the heart of this sin. And it is this drought of knowledge. This drought of knowledge of God. What God is showing here is that these two things are connected. They're breaking the covenant. They're breaking how they should be relating to God. And that is breaking down and in fact will ultimately destroy their society. Verses 4-11, through again, it's the abandoned covenant. And one of the reasons the covenant is abandoned is because the priests failed to teach why they were in the covenant. They failed the first thing they were supposed to do. Not just the priests, but certainly the priests, but all of the Israelites were supposed to pass down from generation to generation what God had laid out for them in the covenant. And the priests had failed to do this. And it wasn't just because they forgot. It's not just because they got busy. He makes it clear. He says, you priests have rejected the knowledge. You've rejected the truth, therefore you don't teach it. It's one of the things that we need to understand about, you know, if you're at this church... Or if you're in a situation where you have to, you know, go to, you know, another church. How does that church view God's word? Because more and more churches have like, yeah, we we really love God's word, but, but, you know, there's kind of parts of it that are more like suggestions. There's parts of it that aren't as, as sacred and true as other parts and maybe that pastor will never say that but that pastor will never preach the parts that he doesn't agree with you know i went to i went to one of these kind of mega churches for a little while and it was good 6 to 8 months In all the sermons that I listened to, never heard the word sin. Never heard the word judgment. The priests neglected God's word. No, they rejected God's word. And because of that, they don't teach it. And because of that, the knowledge of God is not out there and it leads to ruin. You know, they kept the sacrifices. They kept all the sacrifices. They kept doing all the rituals. You know why? Oh, part of it might have been because they might have actually believed it was helping. But why would the priests keep the sacrifices and not teach about the law? Because when sacrifices were made, they got to keep the meat. That's what Hosea is you know, pointing out. That's what God is saying. You're doing this. You're getting rich off their sin. You're not doing this because you are trying to be the mediator between God and man. You're doing this for your personal gain. again, Pastors and other people claiming to be Christians who do things for wrong motives, it's not new. And they had rejected the knowledge of God for so long they had forgotten it. So on every level, the priests are failing. The only thing they're doing is they're kind of keeping the temple doors open, making sure we can keep getting the sacrifices flowing. Not doing anything else. Verses 12 through 14. In verses 12 through 14, God describes here the consequences of this drought of knowledge. And the first thing he says in, in verse 12 is that instead of the word that I had given them, the perfect word of God, the truth, how you should live, how you should relate to me, who I am, instead of consulting that for wisdom, they get their stick. And they say, stick, give me wisdom. They, they get a piece of wood and they carve it. And they say, wood, give me wisdom. And God is like, it's crazy. I gave them wisdom i poured out my heart my truth to them and they've rejected it they've forgotten it they don't teach it and as a result they still need wisdom they still need advice and so where did they go for truth a piece of wood it's so it's so sad that it's it's Passing down generation to generation where God says, you know what? Their daughters are becoming prostitutes. But he goes, I'm not going to blame the daughters. You know why? Because their parents failed to teach them. It's a a failure to break down in, in the communication of God's truth from generation to generation. These daughters are just doing what they've been told is okay and right. Instead of praying, instead of studying God's word, learning God's word, they're asking for wisdom from a piece of wood. Instead of keeping the covenant and worshiping God alone, they are worshiping and trusting all these different versions of Baal. The way that this is written when he talks about, you know, this, they sacrifice on the tops of the mountains and burn offerings on the hills, this doesn't mean there was like, over here was the, the uh, Israelite church of God, and then over here was the first Baptist church of Baal. It wasn't like that. It's like on every high place, every high place, there was different altars of worship. It was throughout the land. So instead of keeping the covenant Instead of worshiping God alone, they were worshiping and trusting in the false God of Baal. Instead of raising their children to be faithful, they were slaughtering them in the name of worshiping Baal. Instead of passing truth to their daughters, they were passing idolatry and sexual immorality. And there's this special direction towards the men, the fathers. Each generation is responsible for the next generation, but there's special, special responsibilities given to the fathers. And instead of being the spiritual leaders of their families, instead of being the spiritual leaders of their community, the men were violating the covenant with idolatry, sexual immorality, and they were leading their families to do the same. In verses 15 through 17, we once again see the mercy and grace of God. You see, this is a judgment on the unfaithful, but it's also God's grace because it's a warning to the faithful. It's telling the faithful, look, this is why the northern kingdom is being judged. So throughout the end of this, there's this reminder, be faithful, stay faithful, avoid the compromised northern kingdom. Don't go to their places of worship and think you're worshiping God, you're not. You're participating in their compromise blend of, of, you know, their Israelite faith along with the Baal. He says, you need to, you need to stay away. And he, he, calls, he calls the unfaithful heifers, cows. He says, you need to stay away from the stubborn cows because they're just going to hurt you. And as part of his mercy and grace in the last two verses, 18 and 19, he warns them of the danger of sin. You see, the Israelites had had been drawn to Baal for different reasons, but one of the reasons is because they thought by worshiping Baal that that would give them more control, it would give them more power. What God points out In verses 18 and 19, it's quite the contrary. First of all, he says the rulers, the rulers, the unfaithful rulers love their shame. In other words, their value system had been so turned upside down that when they were living according to the ways of the world, When they were living according to self and greed, sexual morality, and all of the other things that's been talked about here, they love it. They're not ashamed of it. And the second thing is he compares this this, this kind of move towards uh, syncretism and idolatry. He compares it to wind. He says... A wind has wrapped them in its wings. He's saying it's uncontrollable. They thought they were getting control, they weren't getting control. They were becoming enslaved. And it's a warning. It's a warning to to the faithful be careful. There's several kind of takeaway points from this that we can see that, that would have applied to them and it also applies to us today. And the first one is what we saw in those first few verses. Something that I don't think we understand enough because we love in our world to kind of categorize things and say there's this and then there's that and we love boxes. There's my faith and my relationship to God and then there's you know, how I relate to other people. No. Our relationship to God directly affects our relationship to each other. What we saw in Hosea is the breakdown of worship of God that went to idolatry led to the breakdown in their society. It led to the breakdown of their marriages. It led to the breakdown of their families. In fact, it created more and more social injustice in their culture. This is the theme we see throughout the Bible. It's not just here in Hosea. It's throughout the Bible. Adam and Eve, when Adam and Eve sin against God, what's affected? Not just their relationship to God, but their relationship to each other. What God says is, from now on, you two are going to be fighting for power. In your relationship, we talked about the Ten Commandments. Why are there two tablets? One is our relationship to God, the other is our relationship to each other. When Jesus was asked, What is the greatest commandment? He said, Love the Lord your God with all you are and love your neighbor as yourself. They're connected. Jesus says in the Gospel of John, our love for each other is a witness to the world of Jesus Christ. He's not saying, your love for me is a witness to the world. He's saying, your love for each other is the witness to the world. We love to get caught up in this I love Jesus kind of mentality. And by the way, you should love Jesus. But we think like that's that's it. No. That's just part of it. Our love for Jesus needs to 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 result in a greater love for each other. It has both a positive and a negative effect. We see the apostle John writing in his letter that God is revealed when we love one another. Paul will write in 2 Corinthians about how the gospel is a gospel of reconciliation, reconciliation between God and between humanity. But it also is like we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Does it make any sense if we say we've been reconciled to God and we're not reconciled to one another? It's what the kingdom is. The kingdom is this perfect relationship, this perfect community of us with God and us with each other. From Genesis to Revelation, we see this connection. And yet somehow we kind of leave it on the side. If you believe you are developing a deeper knowledge of a God, and a deeper love for God, and it does not result in a deeper love for your church, a deeper love for other Christians, and indeed a deeper love for the lost people in this world, it is idolatry. Let me repeat this. Because a lot of people have become idolaters and they don't know it because they worship this individual Christianity. And they become very pious, and they feel close to God, but they feel more and more withdrawn from other people. If you believe you're developing a deeper knowledge of God and a deeper love for God, and it does not result in a deeper love for your church, other Christians, and and the lost in this world, it is idolatry. Action point. It's pretty straightforward. Deepen your love for God so that you deepen your knowledge. I mean, sorry, you deepen your love for the other members of this church. If you have been at this church for a year, two years, five years, 20, 30, 40 years, and you don't have a growing love for God and a growing love for the people in this church, what's going on? Did you kind of get that love cup and it got really full? So you're like, can't can't put any more in it. I'm, I'm maxed out on love. Do we not understand the gospel? Do we not understand what God is doing and what he wants to do through us? That's why discipleship is so important, because we cannot have a deeper love for God unless we have a deeper knowledge of God. A deeper knowledge of God leads to a deeper love for God. But see, as we're discipled and we gain that deeper knowledge, we gain that deeper love. A deeper love for God must be expressed. When you really have a deeper love for God, it's you can't control it. It's not like sin where you can't control sin and you're like at the mercy of some mindless force, when, when God's love is growing and you can't control it, God's controlling it. God knows what he's doing. God's directing you. It'll seem like to you, like, oh my gosh, I don't want to think these thoughts. I don't want to care about these people. And love is like making you move and care and think. But it's not random. It's not uncontrollable. And that's the question. Is your love growing for God and for the people in this church? You might go, why didn't you say deeper for other Christians outside this church? That's all true too, but I'm trying to start. Let's start, let's start small. Like, let's just start right here with the people we know. If we can't love each other in this church... What hope do we have to love other Christians outside this church or the lost? Second big point, pastors are ultimately responsible for teaching truth. I've said it already that pastors have this sacred responsibility to not just study and understand and be able to communicate a full, correct interpretation of God's word, They need to be able to do it in a way that helps everyone in the church mature in their faith and that it equips them to minister to each other. It's not just we want to just say this is what God's word said, get it, know it, you know, we're right, you're wrong, just move. No. It's ultimately, as Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, it's ultimately that we are equipping you For ministry. Our goal is not so that people will think, you know, we're right or we, we, you know, gain in prominence and power. No, in fact, we're trying to give it away. We're trying to give ministry away. We're trying to give it to the people that we are supposed to give it to, which is the people in this church. We're not trying to keep knowledge. We're trying to give it away. You see, the value of a sermon is not how interesting it is, not how thought-provoking it is, not how emotionally stirring it is, not how entertaining it is. The value of a sermon is, is the sermon giving you a correct interpretation of God's Word, first of all, and is it being proclaimed in a way that people can understand, second of all, and third of all, is it being applied to our situation right here, right now? So that we can grow as a church and so we can grow in our faith. And I can tell you, John and I, were f- committed to study God's word. We're committed to faithfully preach to you. We're committed to teach you in other settings in this. But there's another thing you need to understand. Pastors aren't perfect we also need your prayers. That we're not perfect, we don't have inexhaustible energy, we don't have you know, time to do everything as well as we'd like. Faithfully interpreting God's word and teaching it takes time, and it's only one, it's only one of several very important jobs we have as pastors. We're responsible for teaching truth. And the action is simply this. Pray for us. Pray for your pastors. Pray as we prepare. Pray as we teach. The other point we take from this is that not only are pastors ultimately responsible for teaching truth, church members, Christians, you're responsible to learn from the pastors. You notice when, when God is speaking through Hosea and he's talking about the priests forgot, I mean, they, they rejected and then they stopped teaching and then they forgot God's word. You notice he doesn't say, And there was an upcry from the people priests, teach us God's word. No, they weren't demanding for the priest to do their jobs. The people fail as much as the priest. And the people had been given the same admonition teach generation after generation. And we saw, like, with, you know, the asking the the pieces of wood for truth and wisdom, we know that the people still need a direction and they were willing to turn everywhere else but to the Word of God because they didn't know the Word of God. Christians, people who are here at this church and... You consider yourself a member, you should expect from the pastors a healthy diet of God's Word. You should expect it. And if you're not getting it, you should come tell us. Because we want to know where we can help you more. If for whatever reason, John and I just lose our brains and start teaching topical sermons on whatever happens to pop in our heads you should be irate you should be saying we are not getting god's word you're not feeding us you're giving us pop psychology you're giving us cute you know chicken soup for the soul stories and i leave here feeling good but i am not growing in my faith you should demand it that's why we're here it also means that when you're here listening to the sermons when you're at bible studies you're not just kind of listening you're like engaged you're an active listener you're not just sitting there hoping pastor will say something that kind of is memorable you're following the presentation you're following the you know the flow of the argument the message It's because we all need to be discipled. God pointed out multiple times in that passage in chapter 4 this is why sin became rampant because there was a lack of the knowledge of God. A lack of the knowledge of God. It's why one of the most important signs of being faithful is discipleship. It's one of the first signs of being faithful is discipleship. Because discipleship can happen at any level. It can be very, very beginning and basic and then it continues on throughout our lives. What is the action point? The action point is this. Take every opportunity to learn God's word from your pastors. As I said, Ephesians 4 says, your pastors are a gift from God to the church, to help everybody in the church mature in knowledge, mature in love, and be equipped to minister. I'm not saying you should only listen to your pastors. You should only learn from your pastors. We encourage you, study on your own. Listen to other pastors and teachers. But here's something you need to kind of think about. when you hear something outside this church, outside what your pastors are teaching, that is different, that is even, disagrees, contradictory, you need to test it by what you're learning in this church. As pastors, we don't believe we have every answer we don't believe we know everything. We just know we've been given a sacred task. And what helps us is to have healthy dialogues. Healthy dialogue with people in the church who are also willing to study God's Word. Church members, we have a responsibility to not just read the Bible and be familiar with the Bible, but to continually learn and deepen and grow in our understanding of the correct interpretation of the Bible, to be equipped and to serve. I'm going to ask you this hard question, and it's a hard question that, that doesn't apply to all of you, but maybe to some of you. If you do get teaching from another source... And that source is like, it doesn't agree with what we're saying here. So if you believe another pastor, another teacher has an interpretation that's right and, and your pastors are wrong, why are you not a member of their church? Why are you here? If you're here, part of our church covenant says you are here because you are going to be under the teaching of the pastors of this church. And I'm not saying this to flex my muscles and to say, you know, we're all powerful, we know all truth. No, I'm saying this because this is my job. This is my task that was given to me by God. But it's something that we carry out not by telling you this is what you believe. Don't question us. No, we want you to question us. We want healthy dialogue. And maybe you don't believe another pastor Another teacher has superior interpretation. Maybe you believe you do. And I'm not talking about minor things here and there, like, you know, should the pastor wear a suit or wear an aloha shirt or whatever. I mean, I'm not talking about little things. But if you really believe that you know better when we talk about the essentials of the faith, why aren't you pastoring your own church? Why aren't you leading your own flock? if you know better. When we join a church, or when we call a new pastor, we should be affirming that we are under his teaching ministry. Which means, not saying he's our exclusive teacher, but he is our main shepherd. He is our main shepherd who will teach us, protect us, and equip us. The last point is just simply this, what we said before, God is merciful. He's merciful even though judgment was coming upon the unfaithful. He was merciful to the faithful. And His most important warning about sin was that it is uncontrollable. In fact, that's the whole point of of His presence and His love and His covenant is to protect us from this uncontrollable wind. We cannot control sin. It will control us. And ultimately, God is merciful because of the new covenant in Jesus Christ. That he says in the new covenant, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, it's not about your ability to be good, it's not about your ability to be obedient, but it is about what God will do through you, through Jesus Christ and through the work of his spirit. People here, some of you may not be know what it means to be in the New Covenant. Some of you are, but it's kind of like you've kind of been like the Israelites, kind of straying away from it. And some of you are like, like fully engaged. The action point applies differently. Come to Jesus. Return to Jesus. Stand firm with Jesus. It's only with Jesus in the New Covenant that we can be saved from our sin and empowered to fulfill what God has for us.